This is Steve Janikowski. I'm joined by Christian Thwaites, our Chief Strategist. This call will last 20 minutes, and following the call, a replay will be available on our website. As usual, we'll begin with a very high-level overview of the economy and the markets, and then we'll open it up for questions in whatever remaining time we have. So what's changed since our last call? I describe it as more of the same. The U.S. economy continues to trundle along. Nothing much has changed there. Growth is still slow. Inflation, inflation remains low. And interest rates really haven't changed much, even despite the Fed's rate hikes. It's actually quite boring to keep reporting that same thing to you over and over again. Although, interestingly, it's turning out to be a really good environment for the markets. So while it hasn't been a remarkable rip-roaring economy or stock market, it's been a really good environment for investing. Corporate earnings have been coming in nicely, and in this relatively calm environment, the equity markets continue to make steady progress. Since our last call about a month ago, the S&P picked up another 2 to 3% and is up about 12% so far this year. Not bad for a boring environment. Because inflation remains low and the Fed rate hikes haven't squeezed out the credit markets, bonds have also made progress this past month. We're up almost a percent and continue to have a decent year. Most bond portfolios are up close to 4% or so. And the interesting thing is, and, and somebody may, some callers may, you know, call in and ask, well, are we on the verge of a recession? There really is no a recession on the horizon that we see. We see more of the steady, slow growth. We don't see a huge upswing in the economy anytime soon, and we don't see the economy slowing down substantially anytime soon either. So this is a, actually a pretty nice environment for investing. The foreign markets are the focus of today's call. Since Trump's election, the U.S. dollar has been in a nosedive. It's just gone straight down, down close, 10, close 10, to 10%. One way of interpreting this is there's been a rotation of dollars out of the U.S. markets and into foreign markets. It also signifies that foreign investors aren't as optimistic about the U.S. economy and the U.S. market's growth prospects, especially since foreign grass seems to be greener right now. The foreign markets are up quite a bit. Their economies and the markets continue to gain momentum, and uh, most foreign markets, Asia, Europe, especially the emerging markets, have picked up nicely and are the best performing sectors of your portfolio so far this year. And don't be totally bummed out about the weaker U.S. dollar because it has a silver lining. It's actually a bonus for you as a U.S. investor because your foreign holdings get an extra boost. They'll go up an extra amount based on the appreciation of the foreign currencies which are going up against the declining U.S. dollar. Now, the foreign holdings are up really quite nicely so far this year, most up into high double digits. Uh, emerging markets are closing in on close to 30% gains. I'm going to turn it over now to Christian Thwaites for a deeper dive into our views on the foreign markets. Thanks, Steve. Uh, and just to kind of uh, follow on from that and, and come back to the, uh, the title, I'm going to talk about three things. Uh, one is just a quick um, a few additional points around the dollar. Then I'm going to turn our attention to Europe, which we think is one of the brightest spots in, in global asset classes this year. And then a little bit on Japan slash emerging markets. And you'll see why we merge those together for the purposes of today's discussion. 
and then we'll have uh, opportunity for, for questions. So just to um, just to jump on the first item, which is the the dollar. As Steve mentioned, it's been in a nosedive uh, for most of this year against the yen and the euro is down about 11%. Uh, against the trade weighted sort of roughly uh, you know, the basket of currencies that the US does business with is down about the same number. And this is a remarkable one. It's down 23% against the Mexican peso. Why do we care about that? Because the Mexican peso is really the emerging market uh, currency proxy of choice. Out of all the emerging markets, it's very, it's much more liquid than something like China uh, or um, Eastern Europe uh, economies. And so qu quite often investors use it as a way to, uh, to take a view on the entire emerging market basket. So that's down 23%. Um, the dollar is down 23% against the Mexican peso. So that, why has this happened? Well, basically the U.S. growth has been pared back from what it was uh, six to nine months ago. Uh, in the flourish after the election, the, the optimism is pretty high. That's come down quite a bit. And the basic rule of thumb is if you have a strong economy, you've got a stronger currency um, because the expectations are that rates might increase. And what we've seen is that the growth revisions in the U.S. have been to the downside and the growth revisions to the U.S. and Japan have been to the upside. That's basically you know, plenty of other reasons as well, but we tend to think uh, sometimes the simplest explanation serves best here. Uh, why the uh, why why investors are, are more confident in the yen and the euro and some of these emerging markets, and it's thrown up some odd numbers. So for a euro investor, the S and P is actually flat on this year. Um, obviously, it's up 11, 10, 11 percent for us. And in Germany, the and Spain and France, the local markets up between about seven and 14 percent. But in U.S. dollar, it, uh, for U.S. dollar investor, that number goes up to 19 and 28%. So that really shows that about uh, a third to a half, depending on the market of this year's uh, uh, returns for a US investor in international markets have been to the US dollar. All, all well and good, that's a major driver. We don't see any particularly um, dark uh, clouds on the horizon. We think the Euro's on a roll. We think the US dollar may have some pressure around it. And boy, if this debt ceiling uh, nonsense comes to a comes to a, a, a point in September, I, I think you'll see top people coming out of the dollar uh, very, very sharply. So then let's move to the two areas which have been of most interest for us and come back to where we've been investing clients' money uh, on an increasing basis this year is first of all in Europe and then, as I said, we'll turn a little bit to Japan and emerging markets. So what's going on in Europe? It's really two stories. It's growth and politics. The second one is the easiest to deal with. Um, quickly, uh, obviously we saw the French election. That meant that things like uh, you know, fears of more turmoil in the EU following Brexit were diminished. Um, and last week, for example, we saw that, um, well, generally fears that Italy might be the next one to head for the exit door have diminished greatly. And recently, I think we saw support for the single currency, the euro, which really couldn't get a fan base at all a few years ago is at a record high. So what's, when we talk about Europe here, we, we're excluding the UK, we're excluding Scandinavian markets, uh, we're excluding uh, Switzerland, and we're excluding Eastern Europe. So it's the Euro block, and that's where the, the uh, support for the single currency, which is really also a proxy for support for the, the European Union staying intact, is now at a record high. So that all those fears about an exit or a breakup have diminished really uh, greatly. 
The second thing about that on the, on the politics is it's led to a better um, relationship with the European Central Bank. Um, they have recommitted to their easing, this five-year anniversary we wrote about in the blog a few weeks ago of the uh, Do Anything It Takes speech by President uh, of the ECB Draghi, and they've continued to uh, commit to that. Um, so they'll continue to be um, ECB easing, and they are at least, uh, in my mind, about five years behind where the U.S. is. The U.S. stopped buying assets in 2013, started to raise rates in 2016, is talking about stopping reinvestment of the balance sheet later this year. They've not talked about selling the balance sheet. The ECB uh, is not even on the first stage. So, um, so they are, there's plenty of sort of easing and easy monetary policy to, to, to come. And real growth is coming through. The, the European Union uh, grew at a faster rate than the US uh, in the second quarter on an annualized rate. That's the first time that's happened in a long time. And meanwhile, European stocks with all of the increases that we've seen this year, so the uh, up 20% almost uh, in most of the big European country, uh, countries, is still trading at 15 times earnings compared to the US at 17 times earnings. And the earnings growth in the EU, EU will be about 15% compared to the US of 99%. So the basic story is uh, they're behind, they're catching up, and we're investing on the assumption that eventually they'll get much closer to valuations and growth uh, expectations um, than they have been for a while. So we're confident about that. Turning to Japan, um, Japan is obviously the biggest uh, economy in, uh, in Asia. I mean, it is second to China, but it has much more of a global impact. And what we've seen in Japan is that growth revisions have gone up. We've seen six consecutive quarters of growth, which doesn't sound like a big deal, but it's the first time that's happened since 2006. And again, this is where the country is starting from a different base. Inflation has just popped its head over the 0% threshold. Uh, and remember, Japan has been the country of deflation for much of the last 30 years. So uh, the, the Bank of Japan's policies to generally get inflation moving have come from a deflationary perspective to a little bit inflationary, although at an incredibly low rate. The other things that have been happening is you know, major reforms in the labor market. Uh, for example, over the last few years, there's been a big push to get women to participate in the in the market in, in the labor market it was pretty high to begin with, uh, but now they're at 62 percent. And just to give you a, a benchmark, the USA is at 57 percent. So, so Japanese women are getting employed more by the by 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 um, employers in in Japan, and the USA is going the other way. So um, earnings growth has has been up a little bit for for both companies and their in Japan is a large export market, which I think everybody knows. And so they've really benefited from the uptick in global trade. So that's a nice story there. Easy policy from the Bank of Japan. Labor and business reforms, labor market forms, you can see the results. Business reforms are still to come in many places, but they are getting better. And many more Japanese companies have committed to things like share buybacks, and they did a year ago. And uh, generally, you know, growth coming from a very low level, but off the deflationary fear. So uh, that creates a good story for Japan, and some of the same story then reverberates into uh, Asian emerging markets. And we've seen strong export growth from Korea, and today's uh, trade numbers from China were not quite as strong as expected, but the trade numbers are still well up uh, year over year. So. 
that's really the kind of Europe and Japan axis, and they have similarities. It, it reforms, political risk diminished, particularly in Europe, um, labor market reforms, which are now coming through to the market, and growth at rates which, uh, while not strong compared to the U.S. at its strongest, um, are certainly doing better than the U.S. in Europe's case and coming from a very low base in Japan's base. So um, again, in, I mentioned the European stock market is trading about 15 times. Japan is even cheaper at 14 times earning, and we expect earnings there to go to about 14%. And meanwhile, while you pick up a yield of just over 2% in the S&P, it's closer to 3.5% in Europe and over 2 in Japan. So again, it's another good reason for us to be uh, invested overseas. So that's where we are. We're up to about the maximum of our allocation overseas, the highest we've been in a while. Um, there's a lot of catch-up to do. It was actually better to be out of international for most of the last five years, and that has reversed quite a bit in the last uh, nine months. Um, and, and so we remain pretty confident about the international emerging market side. There's short, for sure some short-term risks, particularly in, in the US, but for now we feel quite confident about the outlook even while we're going through these August extremely low volume markets. Christian, the, um, Japan has been, you know, called the sort of the head fake economy and the head fake market so multiple times over the past couple decades where it appeared that they were gaining traction and, and they kind of fell backwards again. Uh, what, what makes you more confident that this is not another head fake? <laughs> yeah, well, you and I have... Uh, you know, seen this pretty much since 1991. You know, the market uh, goes up and then does well for a while and then deflation sets back in again. Um, there's not zero risk that it could continue to go, uh, you know, go back to its, its, um, its trend. What is different this time is that the Bank of Japan has uh, a very good governor. Before it was a sort of a, a political appointment that you know, one term only, there's never been a Bank of Japan governor that I can remember has been reappointed to a second term. Um, you know, not particularly creative. And now we got in this guy, Harada, someone who's really committed to expansion of the bank balance sheet. They've done that. They've uh, committed to a 10-year, uh, they're according to the Treasury Japanese bond uh, rate of 0%, which we've been able to get. And also they are talking about, you know, putting more inflation into the system. And it'll be ups and downs, but I think that's one of the major differences. And the other one, of course, is Prime Minister Abe, who's, you know, one of the very few Japanese prime ministers we can actually name in the last 50 years. And he's, been, he's pushing a lot of reforms, um, labor market reforms, stock market reforms, economic reforms. They are slow, but I think this makes it slightly different from the uh, you know, other, other periods where we've had people promise this and not really deliver. You mentioned that uh, this is a, uh, that uh, Europe is maybe five years behind where the U.S. was with their monetary easing and where the economy is. What would you say, without getting into, we don't have a lot of time, but your chief, if there were one major concern about Europe, what would that be? Um, I, I think it, it would be that the, the margins and earnings growth don't come through. I think the political risk is minor at this point, but there's a lot of expectation that uh, European stocks will be able to create, they, they don't trade on, they don't have the same profitability margins as uh, mm -hmm. stocks, but so they need to show improvement on that. And if they don't, then I think they'll be disappointed in the market. Mm -hmm. And the other one, of course, is when you talk about the European stocks, 
stock market, you have to think about financials because it's a large part of the market. And uh, I think if there's another setback with European financials, then people will feel that that's uh, that's that's kind of a not a good not a good indicator of uh, of Europe's underlying strength. Mm -hmm. What uh, you know. Uh, We've heard rosy outlooks from a number of prognosticators. People have been light on international markets, and I think that's part of why we're seeing a flow of money coming into. By the way, um, we, we don't want to cut anybody off, but if, if anyone has a question would like to dial in, it's star nine. Uh, we have a few minutes, time for a few questions if, if uh, people are so inclined. Otherwise, we'll keep debating different things. <laughs> but. Uh, you know, there, uh, it seems that there's a flow of pe people, uh, especially institutional investors who have been underweight, and rightfully so, because the foreign markets have not been a good place to be the last, you know, five plus years, and now the foreign markets have picked up, especially for a U.S. investor because of the currency translation that you talked about. Um, what, what makes this time different? I mean, uh, are we seeing a major rotation uh, where the foreign markets are going to act better? Is this a one-year flash in the pan? Is this a several-year phenomenon? I've got my views, but I'm just curious about you. Yeah. I, I think this, again, uh, I think this is slightly different because the U.S. market, as everybody knows, we've discussed on these calls, right. is not cheap. Right. Uh, I mean, whether you take the CAPE, the bigger dusty PE, or just historical PEs, you know, we're, we're, at, we're at very much to the higher end of the valuation range. So I think as an investor, you're looking for what else is comparatively cheaper. And of course, Europe comes right back at you because when the U.S. market was trading at 17 times forward earnings, almost 20 times historical earnings back in November, uh, Europe was trading at, uh, at 13 or 14 times. So just on a macro level, it does seem that there's some good catching up, and I think that's, that's why people are fairly attracted to it. Do you remember the popular argument uh, that we heard for most of the period from 2009 through, let's say, 2000? 14, maybe even 15, that you didn't need to invest in foreign, that all we need to do is buy the U.S. market, the S&P 500, or the, the total stock market, because it had exposure to foreign, it had exposure to emerging markets, and that we really didn't need to go outside. And there's and there are a number of popular um, uh, you know, uh, financial reporters who talked about this. That doesn't seem to be the case right now. So I think you know, folks who are out of foreign are wondering: should they get back into foreign? Should they get back into foreign, or do they not need to worry about it at all? What are your views of that? Well, I think the people who said that back then were just so uh, so wrong. I don't know how to sort of put enough adjectives in front of it because the, you know, the S and P they said yes, 40% of the earnings come from overseas, but if you take out Canada and Mexico, that number drops in half. Right. Um, and also there. You know that you you don't get as broad a range to different industries that Europe has. Europe has you know five of the most successful automakers in the world. The U.S. doesn't. <laughs> you know, so, <laughs> there are whole industries which you don't get exposure to by being overseas. So, um, that, so, so I, I I think um, the, the right now the, the the exposure you get to different growth segments and evaluations continue to make this pretty attractive. I don't know if I've answered your question, but. Uh, well, no, you, you just used a lot of words, but I'm not sure you answered my question. But anyway, the, the, the long story short, we haven't heard this argument in quite some time. I was hearing this argument almost every week. I haven't heard this argument now in the past year to almost two years. And, and if the foreign markets continue to outperform, not only will we not hear this argument, we'll probably 
have people question that assumption. Anyway, yeah. we've, we've, we've passed our 20-minute time frame, we, which we intend to hold to, and um, would uh, thank you, everyone, for joining this call. And uh, we will, as we say, have a, re a replay of this available on our website within uh, a short period of time. And uh, everyone have a great day, and uh, thanks for joining in. But don't tune off until you've heard the disclosure. Please know that the information provided in this presentation is for general information purposes only. It should not be considered individualized recommendation or personalized investment advice. The investment strategy discussed in this presentation may not be suitable for everyone. Each investor needs to review an investment strategy for his or own particular situation before making the investment decision. All expressions of opinion are subject to change about notice from the actual shifting market or economic conditions. Past performance no guarantee of future results. Contingency only cannot be used as an indicator of future